Welcome to Story Plus Audience, a podcast about creating stories that connect deeply with audiences. And using that connection to build a long-term career as a storyteller. I'm Jill Golick. I'm a screenwriter and digital creator. I'm Annalise Larson. I work in digital marketing and strategy for media. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the power of the specific and why niche audiences are often key to finding success for your story. So Jill, I'd like to turn the spotlight on the audience and ourselves as audience members. Can you think of a recent example of something where you've uh, witnessed or been part of an audience that has had a connection to a story? Okay, so I want to ask you, have you ever heard of this hashtag, I-W-D-F-C-F-T? No. Well, it stands for, I would die for Claire from Bon Appetit Test Kitchen. Claire Savage, she's, she has one of these Bon Appetit YouTube video series that's called Gourmet Makes. And every episode, they present Claire with some like Skittles or Kit Kat bars or Oreos. And her job is to deconstruct the candy and then make it again from scratch. And poor Claire suffers through the whole thing, but she perseveres and finally succeeds. And what's so interesting is that the Bon Appetit's YouTube channel has really evolved in the last couple of years. It used to be these videos, just you wouldn't even see anyone's face. You'd just see hands perfectly executing a very difficult recipe. And it was very recipe oriented. And then more recently, Bon Appetit has found this incredible success in much longer videos that are more about the process and the trial and error of cooking in which the so-called experts personalities really come through and it's more like watching a friend cook and i think you know audiences including me are really relating to the trial and error to the process of cooking i have a lot of difficulty in the kitchen and so this is super relatable for me and for bon appetit this has really led to a lot of success because their subscription rates are skyrocketing there's this portmanteau. I don't usually like them, you know, where they squish a couple of words together, but this is, it still resonates. This one still seems to work. Uh, it's flossum, which combines flawed with awesome. We as humans tend to respond more deeply emotionally to things that feel more authentic because there's a bit of failure involved. It's a bit more rough around the edges. That allows us to have a deeper emotional connection to it than something that is polished and perfect and seems to never achieve that kind of perfection. So I think that blossom idea, which really has to do with authenticity and humanity and, and allowing you know, your story, Claire's story, connect to real people because she's a real person. In the days of, of mass media and old media, we were faced with lots of experts and people who did things perfectly. And I think one of the hallmarks of this new audience-focused creative pursuit is we want to give people 
real people. And we see that hunger for real people. The audiences seem to really respond well. For me as well, I had an experience where I encountered a story that triggered a very sort of visceral emotional response in me. I just read this article in The Guardian that was the excerpt of a book that Greta Turnberg's family has written. Uh, now, ordinarily, I've been avoiding these kinds of stories because, I don't know, I'm just feeling really overwhelmed by the helplessness and sometimes hopelessness I feel around climate change. But for whatever reason, this excerpt, which was from the mother's perspective, made me curious to know more about this young woman. And it was very much a deep dive into the heart of their family when both their kids, but Greta in particular, were going through massive struggles with their mental and physical health. And, you know, having been a mother of kids that have had some big struggles of their own, especially around anxiety, it was like a punch in the gut. Like it just resonated so deeply and specifically with my lived experience that not only did I read the whole article, which was substantial, but also I'm really curious about the book now and there's a very good chance that I will purchase it. Well, I mean, I don't think I personally have felt any emotion stronger than my mother emotions towards my child's well-being. I think that's like the most powerful feeling I, I've ever felt. And that's an amazing connection to come in on and a way to connect to people. I think cooking uh, frustrations <laughs> is a little bit lighter. And yet both those kind of true feelings do create that passion in the audience. It's a way of pulling the audience in. So let's just move on and talk a little bit more about how we go about evoking these kinds of passionate responses and audiences. And I, I think, you know, the first question for me is, what are we really saying when we use the word niche audience? I think it's about specific. <laughs> when we've talked in the past about mass culture or monoculture, mass media, there is this kind of trying to appeal to everyone, right? The, the lowest common denominator, the broadest appeal that we can make. But what we're finding more and more as our culture becomes more and more splintered and we're experiencing it and getting access to it in so many different places and ways, that that broad appeal just doesn't work in the same way anymore. That it is the power of specific audiences, specific lived experiences, specific points of view that allow us to elicit more authentic and deeper emotional responses in our audiences. And I would say that those audiences, those are niche, those aren't monoculture trying to appeal to everyone at once. You may reach a broader audience eventually, but definitely there is that specificity that is key to having initial appeal to your story. So a few years ago, I made a web series called Ruby Sky PI, which is about a tween girl who solves mysteries in her neighborhood. And if I was pitching it to television, I would expect that it was a 
tween show for tween audiences with a heavy demographic of girls. And when I got on the internet and released the show, what floored me was that that's not who watched it. I could look very closely at my demographics and see the ages and genders of the people who are watching it. And I would also get emails from people who were in university or who remembered ghostwriters. So they were, you know, much older and harken back to the TV shows that they watched in the 80s. For sure on television, we would assume that it would be a dominant girl audience. And yet I look at my stats and on YouTube, it was 60, 40 guys watching. That really surprised me when I got to look at those stats. That old demographic kind of thing is kind of a false way of looking at things. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. And the work that I do for teaching, I always challenge my students. I said, okay, describe your audience, but you're not allowed to use gender. And you're not allowed to use age ranges to define them because that really is part of that older model where people were trying to prove that their story had broad appeal. And so looking at great swaths of the population in terms of gender and age ranges was the way that you would sell it to a network. But today, you know, when you're actually trying to build a strategy for audience development, again, it's almost like that polished perfect (laughs) story that we're talking about. There's nothing kind of there to really grab onto. Like even if you're just looking at say, this story is going to appeal to all women between the ages of 18 and 25. Like there are so many different kinds of people within that broad demographic. Like how do you appeal to that audience? You can't. Now you may identify, you know, an audience and after you've sort of figured out who it is, you may find that it skews a certain way, skews a certain gender, skews a certain age, but you can't start there. You really have to think about what is it that people care about? Where is that emotional connection going to come from? And I mean, there's lots of of examples. We mentioned last time, there are genres that people get really excited about, like sci-fi and fantasy. We need to redefine the way that we think about our target audiences, and it has to start with what they care about. Well, I I mean, I, and I guess that hint is who in your audience would wear the jersey Mm -hmm. that has your logo, your story's logo on it? (laughs) You know, who's going to use the hashtag that says I would die for Claire? That's who you need in your corner from the very beginning. We talked about Pride and Prejudice. So Mm -hmm. fans of Pride and Prejudice Mm -hmm. or of Little Women or of Game of Thrones. Yeah, I remember you telling me a story about a show that featured airplanes and the vintage airplane enthusiasts were the ones who were really actively drawn to that show. What's even crazier with that particular example, it wasn't even just vintage airplane enthusiasts. It was people who loved a very, very specific kind of plane and, you know, had very strong feelings about an authentic portrayal of how that airplane would function. Right. But in that example, we are talking about quite a small audience, which sometimes is true, but niche is not a synonym for small. It means a group of people who share a passion and it could be quite a large passion. Yeah. If you're looking at, say, the LGBTQ audience, that actually covers a wide swath of people, but they tend to be very political. They tend to be 
very vocal about representation within all the segments within that community. And so even though technically, yes, it's a niche audience, it still can be a very broad niche audience. Well, and I I think for that particular audience, there has historically been such a hunger to see themselves mirrored authentically in the media. Mm -hmm. So that's another key to a niche audience is underrepresented, where they haven't seen themselves so much on television or on screens recently. So should we move on to the specific detail and the way that detail helps us connect to our niches? Yes, when you're thinking specific in terms of audience, but I would say also, yes, in terms of specificity and story. When I was reading Greta's mom's story, she described one meal because Greta was really struggling with eating at that point. And the minutia that she included in detail about this one meal where Greta ate five gnocchi was, through its specificity, very, very powerful. So when we're thinking of either audience or story, that specificity, which is really what we're talking about when we're talking about niche, allows for a much deeper sense of authenticity and a deeper sense of emotional connection. We as mothers often feel a sense of failure when our child makes choices, eating choices that are less than healthy. And and yet mm-hmm. it's a shared experience and it's it's almost dangerous or embarrassing to say something like that out loud and in public. And yet I feel like as a writer, when you feel that moment of danger, when you're afraid to say something because it reveals a little bit too much about yourself, where it cuts a little too close to the bone, that that feeling of it being dangerous is actually the hint that you're onto something that will connect with people that is a truth. And so I always, I look for that moment where I'm hesitant to write something down or to say it out loud. And I go, okay, maybe that's a truth. Maybe that's something... I should be sharing with other people because it will resonate with them the way it's scary for me. I love that. I love that sense of danger as you get close to the truth. Providing that for an audience allows for these really deep emotional responses. It's not just, you know, you smile, that's kind of funny or, you know, or irritates me. Like it's not those kinds of emotions. We're talking about big emotions, ones where you're like sobbing, you can't help it, <laughs> or you get so angry or you're laughing so hard, you pee your pants. You know, it's those big emotions that you can only reach through specificity in your story to allow your audience to connect with it deeply. I think those big emotions are are great, but not every story world is going to produce them right away. Like I think about Mr. Robot, the TV series that just ended its five-year run. And it's about a hacker. And I think the hacker community and the knowledgeable software engineers loved the show because the detail was correct. If you freeze framed on a page of code on the screen, as many, many people in the Reddit forums did, the code was exactly right. And finding those little moments of authenticity is also a way to connect powerfully with a niche who is not used to being on screen. 
being true to your characters and the world in which they live, as we know, you know, seeing ourselves on screen, seeing our lived experience in a story is where you have that strong response. When people have taken the care to put that specific detail into a story, you're being seen, you know, even if it's hacker code. Right. So then let me revise then and say that being seen is powerful enough to connect to the audience. Yeah, especially if they've never been, if they never felt that they've been seen before. And then again, you know, most niches are underrepresented when we think mm-hmm. of the niche as mothers who worry about what their child eats. Or like <laughs> you don't you don't see those aspects of yourself so often. And so that's a great thing to tap into. Yeah. And I think when we feel seen, we want to not just share it to share a great story, but also to share it to share something about ourselves. That's where you start to reach beyond your initial target audience because using someone else's story to tell my own is a safer way <laughs> to do that. Well, I guess I guess that's why all those fans of Claire on YouTube sent me her videos and wanted me to watch, right? So those audiences who first connect to it become the first fans and then they try and spread it, which is of course part of what we're after here anyway. The cool thing that I see in specificity is that it actually translates really well to the global audience. Because when the first fans send it to you and you watch this thing and you see how authentic it is, you respond to it. Because when I went to Paris, (laughs) it was one thing to go to the Louvre, but it was a completely different experience to get invited into a native Parisian's home for dinner. And that's the story I talk about is because I felt like I was getting this really special, authentic experience that was much different than being a normal tourist. I was pulled into a real world. And I think that's what global audiences find in the specific is that you recognize that you're in something real and you're getting that insider look at it. I think also, you know, when we look at, say, another story that I had a really strong emotional response to was because it was different than my experience was Hannah Gadsby's special on Netflix. My God, that was a powerful, it was so raw and honest and authentic and, you know, made me laugh, made like all those big emotions (laughs) But even though it wasn't mine, in her authenticity, here's this lesbian from Tasmania (laughs) who felt invisible most of her life. And now she has a global stage um, through digital platforms, through her current tour. She's able to take this story all over the world. And I think it's because she was so authentic and specific to her own experience. Even though it's not mine, I recognize and honor the gift that she has given me through the authenticity and specificity of her story. Yeah, I would die for Hannah Gatsby. (laughs) Where's that hashtag? So then there's the downside of being 
inauthentic. Mm -hmm. And what happens when you miss the boat and you're you're revealed to be a faker, there's a show on Netflix called Bonding that's about the kink community, which I was planning to watch until a member of that community said, that show is terrible. I feel exploited by it. It got all the details wrong. So I was like, out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I I watched it before I knew that. You know, I watched it and thought it was great because I didn't know. I'm not from that world. So I didn't know. I thought, and again, here's a glimpse into another world that was not part of my lived experience, but you know, it was funny. It was entertaining. And then started to see these very painful discussions online from people who were part of that community who felt not only misrepresented, but that the misrepresentation was incredibly dangerous. In some ways, I got an education (laughs) through the story of the backlash, which I wouldn't have had if bonding didn't exist. Right. A lack of authenticity is kind of the kiss of death now. Uh, People really, Mm -hmm. really pay attention to whether it's authentic. They look at who wrote it and who directed it. And, you know, I think that that is how many people in the audience feel now. They want their story told to them by someone who has authentic authority to tell that story. Or who at least has collaborated in an honest way with those who do. Okay, so shall we talk about what we can do to figure out who the niche audiences are that might resonate with our current work, the homework for this <laughs> week. Yeah, so I last week I asked you to look at your catalog of projects on the go and started this process of actually thinking about who is going to resonate with these stories the most. So I want to, not surprisingly this week, ask you to get specific. Take one project, one story, And I've got three questions that I use with my students to help them start to surface who's going to care about this story the most. Now, these will not necessarily apply to every single story and every single project, but it gives you a way to start. The other thing I do as well when I'm sort of building out a strategy for a story is to try to find at least three niches because you know you can't aim everything in just one direction i think it's good to have a few so at least three seems to be a really good number of niches to start with so looking at a story answer these following questions the first question is who is in it so who do they represent so who will look at the screen and see it as a mirror of themselves really think about who the characters are what cultures they come from what stage they are in their life what is their job you know all of those things that will lead to that moment of recognition we've been talking about but also what is their emotional journey when we first construct our characters we think about what they want and what they need and what's driving them through the story. And sometimes, you know, you're taking your character on a specific arc, like from believing that they don't need anyone, like a sense of independence to being able to love someone. So it may be that the it's the emotional makeup of the character or the, the subject of the show that is will be the defining feature. So first question is, who is in it? Who do they represent? What is their emotional journey? Should we add that one? Yeah. (laughs) Second, does it belong to a specific 
beloved genre. When I say that, there are some genres, romantic comedy, drama, that don't really have an instant passionate fan base that comes attached with them, right? Typically, these beloved genres are the focus of different fan conventions. Horror, sci-fi, fantasy, thriller, those kinds of genres tend to be the ones that have that shortcut to audience. You know, that even within those, they're often sub-genres. If you're writing genre and you are unfamiliar with the site tvtropes.org, it's a great place to find those sub-genres within those bigger headings of horror. The goal is to try to sort of slice it thinner and thinner till you get to like the heart of what that genre appeal would be. Okay. And then there's number three. Yeah. So then we look, we're looking really at starting to tease apart the story. So we've got the the people, we've got the genre, then really take a look at your story. What are the core issues, themes? Is there a specific topic like climate change, for example? Is that part of its narrative? A setting, like does it happen in a specific time and place? Is it representative of a certain culture? Topics, around which there are already gathering online. There's already conversations happening. There are already communities forming. There's a group for every medical issue. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) And and, and for a a lot of things. So one way to think about this is actually to look at what you subscribe to, what kind of topics you follow, right? What groups you mm-hmm. you join because of an interest and a passion and sort of think, okay, where would I go to uh, find out more about the interests of this character or if I'm a sh- fan of this specific genre or um, the philosophy or themes that underlie the work. Mm-hmm. So those are the three though, character, genre and theme or underlying philosophy. And those are things that, you know, we want to be thinking about and talking about in early development work on any story. And if you're creating a story Bible for a TV series or any kind of a series, kind of those will be sections that you'll have in there. So so those ideas should already be surfacing. And then there are hints to who your first fans are. Obviously, like I said, not every project, not every story is going to be able to answer these questions. I'm not working on a a genre film. So the answer to that question is no, (laughs) then you need to move on. But you need to find answers for at least, you know, one or two of these. And if you can't, perhaps it's time to work on another story. (laughs) Or or to build in more specificity. Yes. But really in this assignment, what we're looking for is to tease out three distinct audiences. And these are techniques for finding that in the work. There may be, Mm -hmm. you may know that there are other audiences that would be interested in coming, or you may already know what they are, but to just start the process with three of them. Yeah. And don't use gender and don't use age ranges to describe your target audiences. Try to put that as a second tier. Once you've figured out who those niches are, then you can start adding those things back into the mix. But it needs to start with these things that people care about. That's what's going to bring them to your story. All right. Awesome. 
So that's all for this time. Um, if you found this helpful and want to add value to your audience, please share it, uh, rate and subscribe. And if you want to reach Annalise or know more about her, check out her website, veria.ca. That's veria, V-E-R-I-A. It sounds like a synonym for truth. So it's right <laughs> it on brand today. And you can check Jill out at jillgolic.com. That's Gollick with one L, J-I-L-L-G-O-L-I-C-K.com. And you can reach both of us at storyplusaudience at gmail.com. And you got to spell out that plus P-L-U-S because Gmail does not allow you to have the symbol for plus <laughs> in your email address. I'm Jill Golick. I'm Annalise Larson. Thanks for listening. Now, go listen to your audience.